I'm Jamie. And I'm Nikisha. And this is Talking Horror with Jamie. And Nikisha. Where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, guys. Welcome, 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 welcome. To our ah, 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 rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't catch that, stop and go listen to our other previous podcasts about the movie Scream because we are in our Scream rewatch getting ready for Scream 5 that is coming out in the middle of January. And so we are at uh, just better times three. We're talking about (laughs) the 2000 American meta slasher film, according to Wikipedia is what it calls that. Scream 3. Hi. Excuse me. I am Gail Weathers, and I'm here researching with the police. This photo was taken at the studio. Her name is Maureen Prescott. Back then, it was probably Roberts. Hey, are you... No. But you look just... Like her? I've been hearing it all my life. It's uncanny. I was up for Princess Leia. I was this close. So who gets it? The one who sleeps with George Lucas. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring up a a sore subject for you. Sure you didn't. None of them did. So how can I help you? Or do you want me to tell you who you look like? (laughs) How about some information on Maureen Roberts? Yay! Yay. So, (laughs) the the random male noise here... um, for all the listeners who did listen to the Scream 2 episode, I'm pretty sure that I mentioned Scream 3 in sc- thinking I was talking about Scream 2. So oh no. um, this time we did not start Scream 4 before watching Scream 3. So I will have no confusion there because these movies are <laughs> yes. definitely fusing together a little bit at this point. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely agree, and I know we will get knee-deep into this one because, yes, and when you watch Scream 4, it is definitely a separation. You will know that one. Mm -hmm. I will say that. Mm -hmm. But on to Scream 3. It is, of course, directed by Wes Craven, and we have a new writer here, Aaron Kruger, and it stars some of our Freddy's brother? Exactly. (laughs) That's what I said. (laughs) Well, it's spelled in a very fancy way, E-H-R-E-N. I've never seen Aaron spelled that way. So, yes, I was going to say Freddie's sister. I don't know. But anyway, uh, Aaron Kruger, so it's not Kevin Williamson. Oh, E-R-I-N. E-H. E-H-R-E-N. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Starting Aaron Kruger, guys. Starting this <laughs> starting hour with sharp listening skills. Ooh. I mean. Sharp like the knives in the movie. Ooh. Whoa. So many knives and more guns. It's fun times. Yeah. So it, it stars our regular cast of characters. We have uh, David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, of course. But then we have some newbies. McDreamy himself, Patrick Dempsey. Ugh, scandal zone Jake being creepier as ever, Scott Foley. 
Mm-hmm. We have uh, Lance Henriksen, Matt Kiesler, Jenny McCarthy, Parker Posey, my personal favorite, just to name a few. I'm, there were so many people, so many familiar faces, as Scream has proven in the first couple of movies. They definitely put their mark on bringing stars of the time into mm-hmm. their movies, which is uh, a really fun thing to see, especially because this one, and we'll go into it, focuses more on the movie Stab 3, which is the movie within the movie, uh, bringing back all of these more famous folks. So obviously heavy spoilers. We will be talking about Scream 3 and probably some things in the first Scream and Scream 2, but nothing in Scream 4. No. We have established. <laughs> no, nothing nope. in Scream 4. Nope. I promise. It doesn't even exist in my brain. I have, yeah. I have no idea. No, no. <laughs> Fantastic. So if you have not watched any of these, please go watch them. Or if you just want to take a listen to us talk about the things, just listen to us talk about the things. And are there any trigger warnings, Jamie, that you want to bring up? Uh, definitely more stabs, uh, a lot of stabbery that is occurring in this film. Um, there are also uh, um, references to assault, sexual assault, um, but I think that is all just more stabbing. Yeah. Did you say, what did you say? Stabberation? Does, uh, stab- stabbery. Stabbery. Yeah. And that just reminds me of like hateration, holleration in this dancery. So stabbery in this move, move, movery. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a lot of general stabbery that has been taking place stabbery. in this film. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, before we get into it, uh, there's so many new things coming out. And you guys mentioned to me earlier before we got on here that you watched a new trailer for a movie. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, we watched the trailer for the new Netflix TV show, horror TV show, Archive 81. Um, It seems very immersive in the way of like the VHS movies, Um, Mm. but with a little bit more... um, uh, a little bit more continuity and storytelling. Again, we just saw the trailer. I think James Wan is producing it. Um, oh, nice. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. I think I have to do more research. I think that it's based on a podcast, like like a mm. podcast like mm. does short stories and stuff like that. So they like turned it into something a little bit more like uh, uh, cohesive. I don't really know. Um, so I might be giving out incorrect, incorrect information, but the trailer was really good. Spooky mm-hmm. dooky okay. stuff. Spooky, very, very spooky, very dooky. When you guys were talking about it, that it was a TV show. I just thought it was a movie. So that's exciting. Uh, Well, in the trailer watching, I was flipping through YouTube at 2 a.m. as one normally does Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and found that there was a new Insidious that is supposed to be coming out. And at first, I thought it was probably one of those like fan trailers, you know, people just like make up things. But it was like new footage I've never seen in any of the Insidious. So I was like, this has to be real. Hmm. Uh, so there's a new Insidious trailer that is going to come out. It's like House of Demons, something about a bunch of demons being around. So Interesting. Uh, same folks from the previous Insidious uh, movies. So it should be a bloody good old time, that one. So hopefully when, when, it, when it gets to being released we will cover it on the podcast isn't isn't uh isn't patrick wilson directing this one 
Yes, you are correct. He's in it and oh. he's directing it. Yes. Oh. I haven't well, watched exciting. those movies in a long time. I, I've only seen the first one. I've never seen anything past that one. And the first one is a perfect horror movie to me. Oh, it's fantastic. It's and so I think because there's what, three of yeah. them? Or are there uh, four? I have no idea. There's the key one. Right. That's I keep remembering like skeleton key, but not skeleton key. <laughs> Something about a key. That one, I wonder if that's the fourth. Yeah, that's the fourth one. There's okay. the first one, chapter two, chapter three, and the last key. Okay. Well, then I think I probably saw the first three and half of the last key. I don't think I got through all of the all the keys. Oh, the third one was directed by Lee Winnell, who did the Saw. Oh, nice. The right there for Saw. That was his directorial debut. Oh, and he oh, did. Wow. Didn't he do? He did Invisible Woman, Man, right? Uh, yes. After Jeez. after chapter three. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fun times. Just triple threats. Because he was acting in... That's the guy who was also acting in Saul? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was the photographer, the click-click. That was me <laughs> taking pictures for, for those listening. Click-click. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, yeah. Good. Lots of good things to come. But let's get into Scream 3. Wow, I was about to say Saw 3. Okay. You know, it's, it's also stabby. So much stabbery in this uh, movie. Stabbery. So stabbery. I think we need to do a two-minute plot summary of it, and I guess I am the one on the chopping block. Because I think you uh, are on the, the chopping block. One. Be careful! Ah, I'll be right back. Hello. <laughs> What's the plot? All right, I yes. got you. Uh, let me know oh when you're ready. My gosh. This is going to be awful, guys, and I just watched it today. Okay. It's going to be great. You're going to be great. Three, (laughs) two, one, go. So we open with Cotton Weary on the phone. Apparently, he's famous now, and he has his own TV show, and he's screaming because he doesn't have a good part in the cameo of Stab 3. Cut to he gets a phone call from the killer who is in his home, and he's going to kill his girlfriend. Cotton is on the way home. He's in the car when he gets this phone call. And so he tries to go home and rescue his girlfriend, but to no avail, she dies, he dies, and then we're back in it, guys, back in the scream game. But we're focused mostly on stab three that is happening in LA. They find out about Cotton Weary's death. And so of course, Gail, who was in LA is trying to work with the detectives to try to figure out what happened. Surprisingly, Dewey is there who's dating one of the actresses from stab three. And this was really mostly like a story about Gail and Dewey, which is really weird. Uh, Finally, we have Sydney who is off into the abyss alone in isolation, but then she finds out about the murders. And so now everyone, Everyone is in L.A. trying to figure out who's killing people. Then the killer starts killing folks on the set of Stab. And they're trying to figure out what's happening. Sydney comes out of hiding. Uh, everything centers around uh, Sydney's mom. There's pictures of her roaming around everywhere. And uh, <laughs> so... We get a random video from Randy, from his sister, that says, if this is a trilogy, then there's going to be some random exposition and things that you thought were the thing are not going to be the thing anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> they uh, all end up in this random mansion uh, from the director and find out that the killer is actually Sydney's half-brother 
who uh, Sydney's mom abandoned, and so he wants to get revenge and kill everyone because his mother abandoned him, and that's like the premise of everything. But to no avail, he gets killed by Sydney, and uh, that's it. Everyone lives happily ever after. <laughs> Yay! Yay! That's good. Good job. Good job. Oh, goodness. Okay, I have a confession to make. (gasps) Watching this, I realized this is the first time I have seen Scream 3. What? Really? So same with us. I I have a question for you. We had never seen this before. I I have a question for you because, um, and uh, Jamie, I want you to share um, our answer for this. Did you predict the killer correctly? I didn't, and I'm mad that I did not. I knew that it had to deal with uh, uh, um, Maureen Prescott's baby. I'm like, okay, one of these kids is like her child, and they're trying to get revenge. But going through it, and they kept um, they kept referencing like this is a trilogy, so there's probably going to be even more than one killer. So I'm thinking, oh well, then there's probably three killers. So oh, then let, let me figure out like hmm. which one it is, because there was something that like Randy said, and he was like, it's going to be unconventional and blah blah blah. So I was like, oh maybe there's three killers. So I was thinking that it was Patrick Dempsey was the muscle and had some random reason for it. I thought mm-hmm. it was the girl who played Sydney, uh, even though some moments they were just trying to make it seem like she was. Mm-hmm. But I was like. Sure. Well, no, she probably could be like the daughter and you know she won the contest quote unquote to be sydney so i was like okay well i think she might have just you know mustered her way in there and then uh i was trying to figure out who like the third one would be i was like well parker posey could just be a what a random like you know shaggy moments just because mm-hmm. uh <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I was just like, this seems so random that it's the actual director of the movie, and it was just disappointing, <laughs> in in my opinion. But anyway, what did y'all think? Yeah, it wasn't good, and we also incorrectly guessed. Um, we also thought that it was well. So we thought that there was two killers to kind of continue with the trend of at least having two. Yeah. Um, we thought that we we guessed the same thing about like it has something to do with the kid. It's probably Sydney's like half sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought that uh, McDreamy, McSteve, whatever his name is, Patrick yes. Dempsey. Um, we thought that he was the half brother because he was being real sketch. Yeah. And then we thought that there would have to be another killer to be like the the non motive, like lack of motive, very poor motive killer. And right. we thought that was Parker Posey. Who yeah. was like taking the the role very seriously and and you know was potentially killing people in order to like investigate the the murders or whatever. Um obviously yeah. we were wrong. Um <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. It was it was like really corny. Like now yes. we're just getting like silly. There's too much doofying up that's happening. Exactly. In, in the whole thing. It's just like, like there were moments where Brian like straight up just like laughed out loud. And I was like, I don't know if that was like, is it like how <laughs> funny, funny is this movie supposed to be? He or was, is it just like so silly? It was so, it was so over the top melodramatic. It was mm-hmm. so silly. I'm almost positive Dewey's limp and like bum arm was on the wrong side of his body from the second one. <laughs> 
Oh no! I'm like, yeah. the fax machine was hilarious. Oh the, my god! The gas explosion of the house felt so out of character for a scream movie. <laughs> yes. Um, all like like. The, Randy's sister just randomly being on set Showing when they up. needed more information was wacky. Listen, my favorite part of the movie is the weird Carrie Fisher cameo, but it's just so weird <laughs> and out of place. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I will say that this has the scariest moment in all three of the movies so far. And, and what is that? That is Sydney having an absolute complete breakdown um, like in the fake Woodsboro and crying out for Dewey. And like, she's reliving her trauma in real time. And she's like Mm. sobbing in the house. Well, I I thought that was incredibly effective, especially because we've just watched the other two movies. And she's like Mm. having this total complete and utter breakdown. And, and then you have like the trauma from her mom also filling into that. I, I, Mm -hmm. I think that was outstanding acting from Nev Campbell or as my British, um, my British uh, teacher back when I was studying in London would say, oh, is it Neve? Neve Campbell um, would yell at us <laughs> for saying Nev. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. And I also, I think, I think that Nev Campbell's or, or Sydney's journey in this one is awesome in terms of what we've seen before, including mm. like, yeah, it would make sense that she was a woman's crisis counselor hiding away and like not, and like, like, like that, like deep seated fear of like being on the phone and, but also Mm -hmm. helping other women and all of that was like really great. She also does have a picture of the play that she was in on her house. Um, a poster for the play. Um, (laughs) I just thought that made sense. And then her just wanted to like, she's still a courageous person. So her like going to like help and find these things, but also like being very affected by all that stuff. Uh, and she was also, Jamie pointed this out. So I'm giving this to Jamie. She was also wearing the necklace. The boyfriend gave her in the second one. Yep. I didn't oh, yeah. see that. That was uh-huh. weird. I just think that <laughs> everything in there was really well executed for a scream movie, that stuff. But like the one thing, that we I forgot was in this movie, even though I've never seen it before, that I forgot was in this movie, <laughs> are the iconic Courtney Cox bangs. Can I say I put that in my notes? <laughs> I don't... These bangs, are kill, they're killing me. They're, like, they're killing me more than Ghostface is killing all of the people in the movie. And... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, they're iconic. Will she bring them back for Scream 5? We'll wait and see. But I feel like there should should be at least one moment of her in those god-awful bangs. <laughs> hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Uh, yeah, it's just so short. <laughs> just so short and just like straggly. Like, I just, I, I can't. Uh, now that we're just here talking about the things, I mean, if you can give me just any more generalized things that – Uh, turned you off of the movie or things that you uh, particularly enjoyed. I will say for myself in watching this and and you guys alluded to kind of to this idea uh, that it felt like I was watching actual like a scary movie movie, like the Mm -hmm. weigh-ins movies of this. Yeah, yeah. Like Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where 
in the second one, I could let it go because it was still making fun of itself and it's, it didn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. In this one, it felt like they were trying to take themselves seriously, but within the context of all the meta stuff, it just fell flat because that kind of overpowered, like the corniness and everything overpowered uh, what they were trying to do. Like if you just want to go full scary movie, you know, like go full scary movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if, and if you want to be serious, like be serious. I mean, that would be a turn away from the franchise. But if you want to be serious, like then completely be serious. But there were moments like when they were in the mansion and then like Ghostface like comes out and randomly punches like a guy from the side. Like I, I laughed yeah. hysterically because that is something that happened in like scary movies. When he hits <laughs> Patrick so Warburton with a, uh, with a frying pan. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was, that was what made you laugh. That's what it was. <laughs> That also, was just so much. Also, do the thing that really got me in a bad way was when they asked Dewey if Sydney's number was in his memory. And he was like, uh, I think I remember it. And it's like, no, you idiot, in your phone memory. Phone I was memory. like, I can't this is a this he's he must have watched scary movie to see how Doofy yes. acts and then brought it to this. Awful. Just like, and he's the <laughs> first build on this. He, I can't like mm-hmm. it's it's him, Courtney Cox, and then um, Nev Campbell. I think uh, he's definitely yeah. first. That's absolutely wild. Um, and yeah, just like the, and then the addedness of, I mean, one one of the campy, uh, like crazy things that I did enjoy, and she is uh, my MVP is Parker Posey. Mm-hmm. She. All of her scenes in comedy, like, that seemed within the realm of Scream yes. for me. Yeah. And in the world that it was supposed to be. But mm-hmm. even, but yeah, like you said, Brian, having Dewey kind of be even more doofy than normal, like, not even realistically, it was just like, what, what am I watching? And then also the turn from like the story of Sydney, like she is in it, but not in it. Like it really felt like it was, like I said, more of like a Gale and Dewey story, which was like, Mm -hmm. how did we feel about that? Did you feel like that was that way? I mean, they are like, they have definitely, I think in the, in the second one, like kind of take on a primary role to their relationship. So Mm -hmm. it's not, it didn't throw me off. Like I think in the first one, it's like predominantly Sydney and like, we're seeing it from her perspective, but I think I think also it's evolved because it's not just about her surviving this trauma, mm-hmm. but like there's other people in the fold too. And, and they've taken on, you know, more space, they, they're taking up more space in these last two films because like they are a part of it. They're a part of the story. Uh, you know, Gail is part of the stab movies. Like she's, she's integral to the story yeah. David Arquette, I can, I can take her leave, but like, you know, at least like it feels, and if anything, Gail feels like more of a foil to Sydney because of like the role that like, she's always getting punched in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, she's always there to kind of like poke at all of the, the trauma and experiences that Sydney has experienced. So like yeah. them kind of being opposing against each other and like continuing the story makes sense. Maybe the doofy thing is like the thing that makes the least amount of sense. I like, he's just totally yeah. useless. I, I laughed whenever he fell down the stairs. Um, <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like over him. I, I, I'm kind, I just want, I hope he, I, this is mean, but I hope he dies in scream five. 
Well, when when uh, Randy was talking about, you know, any of the leads could die now, like, you know, no holds bar, it's, mm-hmm. everything can happen. I was like, okay, well, it's probably going to be either Gail or Dewey is going to be mm-hmm. the one to so, bite the dust. Yeah. Positive about this movie. I think that Randy's tape is excellent in terms of like, like telling us what happens at the third movie of a trilogy. I think all those things are like that bullet point checklist is excellent. I think that mm-hmm. what this movie is missing is a Randy in, ter- mm. in terms of like being us talking about what happens in the third movie, because in this one, it's more about like mirroring what happens in stab three. Um, and, and, and Randy's the only one that recontextualizes everything in terms of that. And then at sure. the end, we find out that retconning the fact that this half brother got to Billy first and basically mm. showed him the movies, riling him up to get him to do those things. So they retconned it a little bit. I mean, a lot. Um, but to me, Randy really focused everything on how this is going to change. And that's when the movie got more interesting to me because I agree with you. I think that it was, I did, it's, it's a weird combination where I didn't, I didn't, wasn't surprised that the two of them took more of a central role, Dewey and Gail, but I Mm -hmm. was surprised at how much Sydney was actually left out of this movie, even though her scenes were to me more powerful than any of the other scenes in the movie. Um, and I was, yeah, so there's, uh, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of how I felt about that. Yeah. Well, I will say, (laughs) Jamie, I feel like you got what you wanted when we talked about scream Two and, how Sydney would actually react to all of that trauma and what people were saying about her. Now we see her mm-hmm. in isolation after the events have happened now twice in her life. In this moment, does that seem more believable? Were you happy with that outcome of Sydney? Yes, very much so. Like this, this makes way more sense. Like I didn't get the acting thing at all. It just like felt totally disconnected. But mm-hmm. like <clears throat> Like, going into this movie, she's had these, like, two incredibly traumatic – I mean, three if you count, like, the actual murder of her mom – incredibly traumatic experiences. Why wouldn't she – like, she's very well equipped to empathize and connect and support with other people going through and dealing with traumas. And I think that there's something to, like, like empowering herself to – get over, like to work through her fear of like answering phones, right? Like if Mm -hmm. the phone, if the phone call element is like such a core piece to the trauma, like how do you like take back control over your life by like, you know, actively working, using a platform that has otherwise brought you trauma. Um, So I think that's like a really clever thing that they throw in here. But I definitely feel like, of course, like she's (laughs) – she's trusted people so many times. And then, and like at the core, like she thought that she knew her mom, she clearly didn't. Mm -hmm. And like how, how much that impacts her ability to trust people. Like if you can't trust your mom, like who can you trust kind of idea. And so like, it makes sense that she would go off the grid and like just totally remove herself from society and like protect herself in that way. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's get into it then. Uh, Talking about crisis counseling, because I mean, I guess after, you know, almost getting stabbed in the theater, that's when you decide to change your major. You're not going to be a theater major anymore. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) you're going to go into crisis counseling. So 
I want to ask Jamie because I am not familiar with crisis counseling. Does this, what is it, first off, and does this movie do a good job of depicting what a crisis counselor uh, actually does? Um, So crisis counseling is like essentially for folks that are like looking for support um, and are in crisis. So like an acute state of, you know, like heightened anxiety or, um, or depression, like feeling really low, um, potentially like at risk of self-harm and, and like looking for somebody to talk to. Um, mm-hmm. That's it at like its most basic and general because like there's all kinds of more like specialized crisis counseling that exists. Um, but like, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's suicide hotlines, there's a national domestic violence hotline, there's a national sexual assault hotline, there's crisis hotlines for um, LGBTQ specific youth, there's mm. texting now, there's a crisis text line that for people who don't want to talk on the phone, they can just do texting. Um, so like, it really runs the gamut of, you know, depending on what type of like crisis that you're in, mm-hmm. um, that you can find specialized support to like walk you through the process of what you're going through to provide validation and empathy from somebody that you like, don't have to have a connection to, which for some people when they're in crisis, like they might feel like they're burdening their friends and family. So having this other resource, like a third party who has no connection to you can Mm -hmm. be a great resource. Um, in terms of like the type of like crisis counseling that, uh, Neve was doing. Um, (laughs) I, am not totally sure what she was doing. It just, it just seemed very general and just like people that were like, I'm in danger and I need help kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm not sure if there was like anything specific that, you know, she was supposed to be addressing, but, um, but folks who do crisis counseling do get training for it. So, and you don't have to be a mental health professional to be a crisis counselor. Uh, okay. Um, so, you know, PSA, the hotlines can probably use a lot more support. Um, yeah. but, <clears throat> but you can get, uh, just general training on like how to support somebody, how to be like open and empathetic, non-judgmental, mm-hmm. um, supportive, like that, those are the approaches, um, you know, how to deescalate someone. If someone's like calling and just like very heightened and overwhelmed and feeling kind of all over the place, what type of demeanor do you want to present with to like help bring someone down and like help calm them down? Mm. Um, and so like strategies on like how to talk to people and, 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 you know, help them feel more comfortable. Um, so that's like the, the purpose of it essentially. Yeah. Do I think she was doing it? Maybe kind of, sort of, a bit. (laughs) She was just there listening, which I think is part of it too. No, absolutely. Now, with the trauma that she has gone through, like, do you think that she makes a good candidate to be a crisis counselor? Um, So I want to say yes. I'm trying to think about it as realistic as possible, not just like her and this movie. But like, yeah, I think that there's – I think that – you don't like 
you do not have to go through a traumatic experience to be able to provide support to somebody who's experienced Mm. a trauma. Mm -hmm. But I also know that like, you know, when you're, when you're looking for support, you want to know that someone understands you and like hears you and empathizes and empathy is like the key. And I say that word a lot, but like empathy is different from sympathy. It's like really about putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times folks looking for support, whether it's a therapist or a crisis counselor, something more like temporary and acute, um, they're looking for someone who like understands them and, and, oftentimes they might want somebody who has had those lived experiences, who knows exactly what it's like to go through this because that's the connection that they feel is like, oh, you've been in this situation. You get me. You understand exactly what I'm going through right now. Yeah. And like, that's, that's what helps them feel heard and validated. And like, and you know, that can help with building that rapport and that relationship. Um, and I think that's like a very, normal thing to want somebody. I mean, I think it happens all the time. Like if you're seeking a therapist, you want somebody who has had similar experiences, who shares similar identities to you because you want to know that that person's going to get you Mm -hmm. in order to provide you with that support. So I think that there are benefits to like somebody else having that perspective and those experiences to provide that specialized support. But I don't think it's necessary like across the board. Like I haven't lived every life. And I like to hope to think that I'm doing a good job at my job. Um, but like, I think, I think that there's like, you know, and, and ultimately I think what's really important is like the person that's providing the support, like, have they gotten the support that, that they need in order to effectively support other people? Or are they like, being re-traumatized by hearing other people's trauma? Are they making it about themselves? Like, you know, not all, I I will say not all therapists are good therapists. A lot of them struggle with, um, you know, like compartmentalizing their own stuff and like can make it about them. That's not, you know, what people are typically looking for when they're looking for a therapist. And so I think like those are, those are the, the potential barriers or challenges that somebody who has been through very like specific types of trauma who then like puts themselves in a position to hear other people's trauma day in and day out, that they Mm -hmm. might struggle with their own issues, if not addressed and like getting their own support. That is a lot, which is why I feel like the more, I mean, like you said, PSA, I mean, we need, we all need the help, but even with not having so many people specialized in this stuff, you can still come across people who aren't, who can't be that helpful to you in that. And that's also kind of scary in itself, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> just speaking on uh, Sydney's trauma specifically, because as you mentioned, it is, it would be nice to know the person that you're talking to went through something similar and overcame it so that, you know, they can have a full view of, of your issue when you're talking to them. But we get some different kind of like triggers and such in this movie with uh, Sydney in relation to her mom. So we're seeing like all of these hallucinations and she's hearing voices in her head on top of that fancy ass voice machine that just happens to capture everybody's (laughs) voice. voice. Like that's like 2050 type technology. Like what is that? But anyway, I digress. That the kind (laughs) of trauma that Sydney has had with 
everything that we know, at least uh, from these movies, can that cause those kinds of voices in your head and hallucinations? Like is, and I think there was a, um, a podcast or that we had spoke about like traumas and hallucinations, but do you think that this uh, is believable, is warranted like to have these, these voices in your head and hallucinations when in, and it's kind of weird because we don't know everything about her mom until the end, but mm -hmm. we're seeing more of her in this movie than we did in the first two. So it's just like, why is all this stuff coming up right now when she doesn't even know everything? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I don't know if I have a good answer because like I myself was confused about like what was real and what was not real. Like the, I think there were moments. So something that I think was real and I think definitely happens is nightmares. Mm -hmm. So like there's a part where she's asleep, but we don't know that until she wakes up from her nightmare. Yeah. Um, but she's like looking out the window and like her mom is there. And then I think the killer shows up at the end and then she like wakes up in a, in a tizzy. Um, yeah. Nightmares are like absolutely a common symptom of, of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Um, so like it's <clears throat> very realistic that after all of these traumas that Sydney's experienced, that she would be like having difficulty sleeping, having these nightmares, like any kind of nightmare. It could be the exact situation that happened or it could be like anything adjacent, but like, you know, those, those, um, like memories resurfacing in that way. Absolutely. Um, the experiences when she's awake. So I, like I said, I don't know if that was real or not in that. I feel like that was the killer who we now mm -hmm. know to be, um, her half brother. Cause I think he was like under the bloody bed sheet right. when she was in she was in the set that was her house and hearing her mom's voice. And yeah. I think that wasn't, I don't think that was, um, a hallucination. I think that was happening, but not actually her mom, but the killer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, I don't, I'm trying to think of other times where she was hearing the voice and the killer wasn't wearing a big bloody bed sheet somewhere <laughs> right. nearby. Yeah. Cause I think he was using that voice modulator thing and like nearby, but then it's like, how did he get Sydney's mom's voice when he had no connection? Like nothing makes sense. Anyway, exactly. Exactly. so I'm, I'm trying to think if there were, and tell me if there were, but I can't remember well, if there were other times where like she heard the voice, but then we didn't see the bloody bed sheet come out of nowhere. Cause I think that was like really happening and not just in her head. Mm -hmm. Um, but all that to say that, I mean, you know, nothing is impossible. Like you, you, you could certainly have experienced so many traumas that you start to have like symptoms of psychosis, which could include hallucinations. Um, but I, I can't speak on like how often that is a, a symptom that comes up. And, and like, again, like her circumstances are so, uh, nuanced and specific that like, maybe you have to go through these like very specific avoidance of murders to have this happen. I don't know. But, um, but I, so I think it's like a mixed bag of like what things are happening to her that are like real symptoms of PTSD versus like, is this actually happening? I don't, I don't know. 
Yeah. I mean, totally. There's just so many other things interwoven and it's just like melodramatic, as Brian was saying, just like compounded trauma. And for what? Like half the time now it's not even making sense. Like we don't even have a through line of what's happening. You know, it's just like, how can we just have a surprise killer at the end? What can we do to get to that point? You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, last question about Sydney in particular. Mm -hmm. So there was a comment and now I can't even remember if this was the bloody sheet or in the dream, but her mom is yelling like, you're poisoned just like me, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So now you're compounding the trauma of believing that you're taking after your parents, like toxic behavior. Mm -hmm. Is that a thing? Is that preventable? I know we talked about like Billy's mom and we were talking about like um, personality disorders or mental illnesses being hereditary and things. But it's just like, I guess my question is, how do you cope with trying to avoid like a parent's toxic, toxic nature? Because we literally have like Billy and his mom, but then like Sydney and her mom is the complete opposite, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think that this is a trend that's continued throughout all three movies so far, mm-hmm. because in the first one, I think in the first one, she says like, she's worried that she's going to end up just like her mom. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> and then in this one, we obviously get like way more of this backstory, but I mean, for like, for her specifically first, like, I don't think that there's anything that she's doing that. I mean, again, we, her mom is like this weird, mysterious figure that like we're getting like info dumps that don't really make sense. But like, I don't get the sense that Sydney is like her mom um, because she doesn't have like this secret life that nobody knows about and um, doesn't seem to be like having all of these relations with people. Um, Like she, she's had two like steady monogamous relationships and Mm. neither of them worked out unfortunately but um but like those are the only relationships that we've seen of Sydney otherwise she's like isolating herself and very closed off so like I don't I don't see her I'm getting to this point where I'm like what traits are you talking about that you are concerned about taking on um because I don't I don't see that in her I feel like she's like, I mean, she's very much the scream queen of like fiercely independent and like wants to do it on her own and like wants to resolve things. Like, I think she's getting more brave and independent as the movies continue and like knowing what she's capable of mm-hmm. having bit like she's really resilient. And I I just don't I don't think that she's like her mom. Um, but like in terms of like more generally, I mean, like to the degree that like, yes, we are raised by parental figures, guardians, and you know, they can influence us, but we are also like, we are not an extension of our parents. We are our own independent people who have our own lived experiences. We, we might like get values from our parents, but then like those values are tested for our, ourselves individually. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, we form our own independent opinions and beliefs and like, that is how we move through the world. And, and so like, I, I think that we can, you know, 
have these experiences in childhood that like might kind of set us up for certain lifestyles, but then like, you know, then we are on our own and we are figuring it out. And, um, and like, we don't necessarily have to be like a carbon copy of our parents. Right. And just going back to her, her mom, because it's also not like her mom was just doing whatever. This movie suggests that there was a specific event that happened that kind of led her down that path. How do you feel about it? I feel problematic. Like, are they, like, I, I'm also confused of like, like, are they alluding to the fact that she was like sexually assaulted that then led her to like a life of promiscuity? That's what it seems like. That's gross. I have a question. Yeah, question from, from Brian. So this actually leads me to something that I want to do, which is, um, like a fast paced answer section. Um, so I have questions for you and I want you to, I want to get both of your answers. Just like what you think about this movie Okay. and actually starts with what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay. My first question is, did Sydney's mom get sexually assaulted at the party? And that's when she got pregnant. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So we think that at that party, that's part of the reason why she dismisses the son because it 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 does remind her and bring her up uh, uh, really traumatic things that happened to her. I think so. Maybe. I'm under the impression that he's like a product of rape, yeah, essentially mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> Second, the rest are less serious. Um, <laughs> one is this movie good? Yes or no? Does the opening <laughs> scene of this movie set the scene for this movie like we've discussed the first two movies really do? No, no, not in my I, opinion. Mm-mm. No, it was it like didn't really make any sense. Okay. It was so random, and at first I was waiting. Just speak on that quickly. I was just waiting for them to cut to. Oh, this is part of this the actual movie franchise, mm. like. This is, you know, just a scene in the movie. And it's like, oh, this isn't? This is like a part of like the quote unquote real life of Scream. This is not good. Sure. Uh, so on that, did you like the voice changer bit? I honestly just kept thinking about how it worked and <laughs> that it wasn't realistic. And so then that, I mean, not that any of this is, you know, real. No, it's all yeah, very real. Yeah. But that component of it was just kind of a little too far. It's like, yay, moving with the technology, okay. But how did you get, like Jamie said, how did you get Maureen's voice? That makes that makes no sense. Like other people's, okay, maybe. But so well, no, the, I didn't like the voice. The only thing I could think of is that he pulled her voice from those videos that he made. Yeah. Yeah, but he was just like creeping yeah. from the shadows, For filming sure. her like kissing men in front of doors. Yeah, you can't pull her voice from. <laughs> exactly. Um, wait, Jimmy, did you like the voice changer? Um, I I liked it, but I also was just like, I don't understand how this works. But I was like, oh, that's cool. Sure. Okay. Next, um, were you disappointed that it was only one killer? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Were you disappointed with yes, who it was in the reveal? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I liked I liked our theories way more than yeah. this because it just felt like agreed. Lame. It was lame. <laughs> Absolutely. It was then, a letdown. Because then 
well, yeah, I didn't like either because we had, like we said, we had the cop who we guessed was the half brother, and then we mm-hmm. had Parker Posey because she's just so wacky <clears throat> that she was killing for like to just like get inside the Woodsboro murders, and then plus why would they change the the formula? They have a formula. Why mm-hmm. does it have to be one killer now? Third movie. exactly. Yeah, I know that was disappointing. So? Um, okay. Another question is: Were you frustrated, or are you frustrated that Dewey? And Gail seem to start from the same annoying place every single movie, and they basically have the same uh, the same arc throughout it. Where like they're like bickering, and then they realize that they really like each other. And at the end, they either sleep together or get engaged, or you know, just be mutually nice to each other. But what, what, what thoughts on that? I think that's a leaving question, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't think about that aspect of it too much but even you saying it just annoyed me <laughs> so right. yeah didn't mean for it to be leaving but it really very much <laughs> you're like do you think that their annoying storyline was annoying <laughs> um and then my last question and this is probably the biggest open-ended question um of this whole movie um why was the cop at the house at the end and is sydney dating the cop who who knows uh i guess maybe she's dating the cop maybe he's her new security now i don't know i don't know that was that was really random and weird because he was such a creeper the whole time well okay actually now that i'm thinking more on this i think maybe maybe they are dating and here's why because <laughs> he makes all of those weird comments about like the scariest things that he's like how the job has really messed him up. The scariest movie that he's seen is living his own life, which makes no freaking sense. That line is so good. Um, And then she whispers mine too. But like, I do think that like, let's go back to trauma bonding. That's what I was going to say. Yes. (laughs) I think that that is the thing that, that brought them together is, is like, they've both been through some shit. And like, that is something, I mean, I think that that's, it's something that isolates them from others, but I think it's something that brings them two specifically together because they both know what it's like. It's like the same stuff that I was talking about before about like really understanding what that's like. And like, if he's, if he's dating someone outside of that life, you know, how much harder is it going to be for like someone to understand that stuff that he's going through, but Sydney gets it. She's lived it. Yeah. So I think, yes. And then Jamie, I have a question for you. date. Um, what would murdering your half brother do to your psyche? <laughs> mm, yes. I mean, she's already killed before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people that she's been closer to. Yeah. Like I, she like literally just found out that she's related to him and like really had no relationship to him. Like at least with uh Timothy, she like knew him from classes and like he was friends with her friends. Like she didn't know this guy from a doorknob. Like they had no relationship. And then he was like, Your mom is my mom. I'm mm-hmm. killer. Your now mom kill you. is my mom. My mom <laughs> is your mom. I mean, I I do wonder if she's like slowly just generally desensitized because mm-hmm. like she'd be murdering. Um she like self-defense. Murdering. <laughs> yeah, she'd be stabbing, she'd be murdering. But like, you know, 
it's, it's going, I think regardless of like who the target is, just the fact that she's like put in these situations where it, the only way she survives is by like taking the life of someone else, I think is like absolutely going to get to her. I can't see, like, she's got to be even more fucked up and scream for her. I like <laughs> just watching the trailers for scream five. I'm just like, you seem way more well-adjusted than I feel like you should be in real life. Yes. Uh, agreed. Uh, and also speaking on the killer, if we're to assume that the half-brother was a product of rape, do you simp- empathize, sympathize, I guess, with the mom? Like, do you think that it's believable for her to have rejected him in that way? Yes, absolutely. It's okay. like, it, I mean, I think that's like a very complex situation. And like, I don't think that there is a a right or wrong answer. I think Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's, there's folks, unfortunately, who are assaulted and like, you know, they have the choice to like, if they're impregnated, like they have the choice to terminate. And some folks like don't feel comfortable terminating, but still have like a very complicated relationship with their child because of like the the context around how they got pregnant. And like that, I think that's like very real and makes that is like the most realistic thing I think about this whole movie is the idea that like, if that's what they're implying that she like rejects a relationship with her son because of that. Um, I, I'm also curious, like, you know, is he then like, did she give him up for adoption? Like, is that right, the right. the mm-hmm. story that we're going with? And then like, he, you know, does research into it and like finds like, there's something missing for me of, you know, his journey. Like if he, yeah. Like if he had a, I want, like, it makes me wonder if he had a really positive relationship with adoptive parents, would this all have still happened? Exactly. Yeah. Because like, is it, is it just about the rejection from the bio mom or like, did he ever have a connection with some type of like parental figure? Like someone that he, someone that raised him, you know, like, and, and it's not necessarily the same by any means, but like how much is just that like familial connection that he might've had? Like if they're saying that he didn't have that, then I'm sure that rejection hurts so much more because like he never had the connection and then feels abandoned by his mom. Mm-hmm. Like that makes sense. But if he had like a really positive upbringing and then was like rejected by his mom and he was like, no, 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 I'm going to ruin your life. I'm just like, what? I just did the math. He turns 30 in this movie. So that means that this is 2000. He would have turned, he would have been born in 1970. And I think that fits the profile for when she, for those like couple of years that she was in LA. I don't remember what, what Mm. the time frame was that she was in there, but that seems about right. I, my other thought about that was like, like she seemingly went to LA randomly and then like lived this life and then like came back. I think what would actually have made more sense is if she left because of an assault, like she left her hometown because of an assault Mm. and got impregnated and then like moved across the country to, Mm. uh, like to deal with that and then comes back and like, you know, like that, like compartmentalizes that, and like right. moves on with her life. I feel like it makes less sense that she just like 
who's like, I'm going to be an actress and then like goes to LA and then experiences this like really traumatic event and like deals with it and then goes back. I don't know. It was just like. To be fair, that's exactly what Sydney did. She like out of nowhere wanted to be an actress and then had to do with traumatic <laughs> events and then So maybe I'm oh, wrong. Maybe she that. is exactly like her mom. Whoa. Oh my god, Brian. Whoa. <laughs> Um, wow, that's amazing. I think we just broke this thing through. Yeah. We did. Wow. Uh, Nikisha, question for you. Um, <laughs> yes. If you were if you were cast in Stab 3 and this was happening, you would call your agent immediately and be like, you're fired. I would absolutely. I, I would get <laughs> out of there with the quickness. I mean, because like weren't people – and I was trying to think back in Scream 2 because, again, they – I agree with you guys. They're all kind of like melding together. Did people who were people who were playing the roles in Stab Two? They didn't die though. Nobody died that was acting. No, in Stab okay. Two, they did not die. I I think they just said that like they were recasting some. I, they gave a reason in the movie, and I don't remember. But they were recasting, okay. or like they didn't want to do the parts anymore, or something. I think they also make like a meta joke about like Hollywood in there. Um, but yeah. they didn't yeah, die. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, I was gonna say like if stuff if if people were like dying, you know, you think about like when people talk about the cursed sets in yeah, Hollywood yeah, yeah. and like things that happen with like poltergeist and you know all the things, then I would be like, absolutely not. I'm not. I'm not gonna do this. We're not gonna uh, uh, be in that situation. Also, the the heaviness of basically implying that all of the actresses were sleeping with the director to get yeah. the part. And I know that that is a thing that we have experienced and people are in jail for those kinds of things now in the real world. But it was just so crazy how heavily they were like, everybody got what is this starry eyes? Were... I know exactly. <laughs> it was really weird and crude and <clears throat> gross but mm-hmm. yeah absolutely not Wait. even though i would love to be in a horror movie one day <laughs> one, what? that's not how you're gonna get there <laughs> right one last question for both of you you would have closed the door at the end right like the doors just open you would have closed it yeah so, that's weird like <laughs> don't even get me started on on all of that, I don't. Under, I also don't understand why people don't have guns on them at all times. <laughs> at this point, like you're you're finding you're having to find guns in random places. Sydney should have ten of them in her possession at all times. Like that's dumb. Well, I think and that's funny that not. in the trail this the Scream Five trailer uh, where it's like I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun or something like I like yeah. that line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or when fucking Dewey was shooting at the body and she's like, the head, the head, shoot the head. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, like, couldn't. Uh, I was dying. I was just oh, too much. My favorite part of the movie, no question. Is when he fell down the stairs. Oh, yeah. That was great. <laughs> is when um, Parker Posey is being attacked between the, behind the one-way, the two-way mirror or whatever it is. Yes. And he shoots out all the glass. And then Jamie screams at the screen, be like, don't waste your bullets, you idiot. And then in the next scene, he doesn't have any bullets left when he tries to shoot him. Yes. Oh, man. That made my viewing experience so much better. Oh, I'm so sorry. I've become this very disruptive movie watcher at home. And I, I didn't realize how vocal I was when I am annoyed at these characters Great. doing dumb things. But 
that is that not the core of talking hard is talking about human behavior and people making 100%. the wildest decisions that the make no wildest. sense. That makes no sense. Wait, also, so then where did he get all the bullets at the end to not shoot him in the head? The the cop gave him his gun. Oh, okay. I was like, that doesn't make sense. But yeah. also then the phone call, like, okay, we're at the point where we have <laughs> caller ID on the phones. And then when Dewey picks up the phone and it's like the the killer, but he thought it was Gail. It's like, yeah. is Gail not saved in your phone? Well, they did so the star six, it nine. Up? It was wild, right? Totally. Yeah. Also, why at the end did Scott Foley just like look at his phone like a goober when uh, Sydney star six, nine him? He was like, huh? Someone's calling me now? Yeah. Like, you've been doing this prank this whole time, and now you're like, oh, what's happening here? Like, he looked at his phone like he never looked at the phone before. (laughs) I was like, what are you doing? Although I I do love him in Scandal. Oh, he's fantastic in Scandal. He's also great on Scrubs. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I forgot that he was in Scrubs. Um, So, final thoughts about the movie. Um... Can I say an interesting fact that I learned on the Wikipedia page? Yeah. So it says that there was an intentional increased emphasis on comedic elements in this installment, and they had reduced some of the violence and horror because this was around the time that Columbine happened. Oh. And there was a lot of scrutiny about violence in media, which is interesting because that's what the second one is about. Yeah. Uh, but also this one and so they guns. like shifted the tone. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, that's not that, – that seems like opposite. But um, – Wow. Okay. So that's, that was just something interesting that I learned. But ultimately, I do not think that the avid humor worked in its favor and this – for me, is the weakest installment of this chain. Hands down. Uh, ditto everything you just said. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Well, um, what about you, Brian? It had some moments. This is my least favorite of the three so far. Um, mm-hmm. But it did have his moments here. I actually think the most disappointing thing was uh, Parker Posey's death in terms of, like, kind of being lame, and she's incredible in this movie in terms of, like, yes. her being more Gale than Gale. I thought that w- that <laughs> that joke went a million miles for me. Like, it was wonderful. Um, I was disappointed in that there wasn't two killers, and quite frankly, it wasn't satisfying like the first two are. The first two are very satisfying killers in the end. Um, mm-hmm. This one was not satisfying at all. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I still listen. Did I have a good time watching this? Yes. I think the Sydney stuff in this is the best in all three, maybe. Mm-hmm. At least, at least better yeah. than two. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I at least feel the like alignment between like how they're talking about her and how she is presenting herself mm-hmm. in this one. Absolutely. Well, um, <clears throat> should we do Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. yeah. Oh wait, no. The dumbest scene is when Do- Doofy's on the phone calling her, and then he turns around like he's never acted before in his fucking life, and she's standing there, and he's like, "Oh, Sydney." Oh, oh that is great. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> about that. I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> Sydney, no, I was I, just calling you on this tele. Have you seen these cellular phones? Right, Jamie. I really <laughs> think you were onto something. I think he watched scary movie and just became that. We're just gonna go with that's that's what it was. It was doofy. Like, this was doofy. It was so doofy. Like, this that. whole movie was doofy. Like, watch out! Watch out! Like Firefest. This is doofy fest. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely agreed. Oh my god. All right, rotten tomatoes. Rotten tomatoes. Tomatoes. It's the rotten tomatoes game. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna guess sixty-seven. Ooh, no. I'm gonna guess like thirty. Oh, work. Okay, okay. this has a forty-one. Nice. Uh, for critics consensus. <laughs> Damn, nice. Uh, the and the uh. Audience score is 37%, and the critic consensus is, despite some surprising twists, don't know what they're talking about. I guess we, <laughs> we none of us guessed the killer, so that's fair. Well, there you go. Despite twist, some surprising twists, Scream 3 sees the franchise falling back on the same old horror formulas and cliches it once hacked and slashed with postmodern abandon. Well, it didn't even go back. If it was if it was back to what it was before, it would have been better. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? True. Yeah. Um, oh God! Woof. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's do the four S's. Oh, yes, this is this is this is. Skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. The talking horns. Four S's. <laughs> okay, we have the four S's, which are skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. One through ten. Uh, what do you rate this for skulls? And that is human behavior and a mental health. I'm going to give it a two. Mm. A solid two. Mm. This just didn't do anything for me. <laughs> but she's a crisis counselor, so that's fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Jamie? Um, I think I'll give it a 3.5 because um, I do finally feel like we're getting what Sydney should have been this whole time. Um and like her experience with the nightmares and kind of like questioning reality a bit. Um, but then everybody else is like just an idiot. Sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, um, I'm going to give this a five because I really like the Sydney stuff. And I think that it was very satisfying to watch her struggle because what we know we've, she's gone through. And I think the acting was really good. Um, so I, I'm going to go with that. Uh, scares. Was this scary? Was this not scary? No, it was not scary. I'll give it a, a one. It was a comedy, guys. We we're talking about horror. This is this was a comedy. Yeah, um, I'll give it a 1.5. 0.5 because there was one single jump scare that got me, and then I was really pissed at myself that it got me. <laughs> what was it? Do you remember? I don't even remember it. Just like the killer like popped out of nowhere, and I was just like, <gasps> and I was like, oh god, I'm so dumb. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a three because I thought that Sydney scene, like her kind of hyperventilating, both of them, when she, when the person calls for the first time and it's her mom's voice and then it turns into the scream killer, um, ghost face. And then in the actual Woodsboro, I, I actually saw how frightened she was and like that her, the feeling that she had was like very, was overwhelming. And that was scary. Not like, not like jump scare stuff. Scary. Hmm. Um, Shakes, will you remember this movie? Is this a forgotten one? Uh, I'm giving it a one again. I will only remember this because of Parker Posey. Mm-hmm. One Parker Posey bangs. Yes. Yeah, this is a one for me. I, I mean, I already think uh, I'm looking forward to four. I know a lot of people like four. <laughs> mm. Um, all right. Uh, suggestions. What suggestions do you have? <laughs> Watch any of the fucking scary movies, guys. 
instead of this one. So watch Scream 1, Scream 2, and then watch Scary Movie. You won't yeah. miss a thing. All right. Um, I once again have nothing. I have not seen Urban Legends Bloody Mary, but <laughs> there is a third installment, so... <laughs> and apparently Kate Mar is in it, so that's fun. Nice. Cool. Um, I have two, but I don't know which one to pick, so you can you can pick for me. Um, the first one is I'm I, I wanted to pick. So one is Paranormal Three, Paranormal Activity Three, mm. like an actually a good third sequel of something. That's my first one. Mm. Or I was thinking Army of Darkness because that is a campy third movie that is fun and works. Hmm. I I second that. It, I mean, it's not a slasher, but like it's great campy horror that is very entertaining. Yeah, and like has like good spooks in it. I I love that movie. Cool. I'll go with Army nice. of Darkness. Um. Cool. Awesome. Fantastic. Ah, well, ah, I, ah. <laughs> that's. That's Thank the you, signal count. that we have, uh, right. <laughs> signal. <laughs> that's, that's the signal that we have finished up our time with Scream 3. Oh, what a time we had. Scream you can, OMG. OMG, exactly. You can follow us uh, on the Instagram and the Twitters and the TikToks at TalkHorrorPod, P-O-D. And Brian, where can they listen to us? Sure. You can listen to us wherever you get podcasts, things like Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please rate and review us there. Five stars, please. And thank, thank you. You. Uh, you know, as, a, as one horror podcast and a, uh, you know, a, a bloody river of other horror podcasts, it really does help when you uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us better. So we would really appreciate it if you took a stab at it. i like it i like it a lot okay well that is the end for us anybody have a a quote i'm just super excited for y'all to watch scream 4 and i think i'm hyping it up too much but i don't care no hey listen (laughs) it's not gonna be worse than scream 3 it's just not exactly yes absolutely oh i'm even trying to find a good quote and they're all stinky what's happening i'll end with something snoochie boochies i totally forgot jane silent bob oh my god Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm confused. What? Wait, <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob are in this movie? Like oh, Kevin Smith and yes. Jason Mewis? Yes. Mewes. I did make an appearance. What was the phrase you said? Smooch- Snoochie boochies. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a good quote to that end. Is a good, that is a good quote. I, I told, boochies to all. That's what I knew this movie was too much. And that was like right at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Nuts. Fantastic, guys. Snoochie boochies to you all and to all a good night. <laughs> <laughs>